is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Independent news commentary with a California perspective, featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 14, Episode 18, Top Gun Maverick, starring Tom Cruise. Talking with Sean Chang of the Hill Place Movie and TV blog. Well, Sean, you and I chatted about this film last week, and you went to see it over the weekend. I went to see it this morning. So we are both revved up, and the film is fresh in our mind. So welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me back, Jim. I appreciate it. Not at all. So where do we start, Sean? Well, I I guess since you saw it today, I'm going to ask you, since I highly recommended it to you and I love the film, what did you think of it, Jim? I was very impressed. I have to say this struck me as a Hollywood classic, feel-good, bro kind of movie. After two years of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. after... Inflation running at almost 9% per annum, gasoline at $6.25 a gallon. We need something to feel good. And I had that distinct sense of feeling good. In fact, I, throughout the film, from the moment it began until the very end, it was, it got my adrenaline going and I was simply, I was just sitting in the theater, not yes. sitting in the cockpit of an F-18. So I, once again, your recommendation hit the spot. I was very impressed and it really does get the adrenaline going. I think it's probably a film, if, if you're not into planes and you're not into action, that may not be the film for you, but uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. What did you think, Sean? I love that film. And for me to say that yes, um, I know. Might, might, might surprise some people, especially my brother, because my brother and I did see the original Top Gun several times in the summer, summer of 86 together. You know, we were going to see every movie that was coming out, and that was a movie that was very entertaining. But even then, it was entertaining, and I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. And I'd see it occasionally through the years. I, I grew to appreciate the film and especially appreciate and respect that the film meant something to a lot of other people. I'm talking about the original Top Gun. Yes. But for me, it was not it was not a film that spoke to me in that manner. So when I heard that they were doing a new Top Gun, you know, when they went into production with it in 2018, I was curious. I was intrigued. But it wasn't something where I was waited with, waiting with bated breath. And the thing is, is that, you know, when I went to see it this weekend, I was going with a friend of mine who really wanted to see it. And I was really happy once we got to the theater because by the time we got to the theater there were so many good reviews so many so many positive notices and also positive feedback from friends of mine who had already seen it and just told me oh sean i might have doubted the film but once i got in the movie i i all the doubts went away this is actually a good film so i went in there kind of excited and apprehensive wondering can this actually be a special film like it has been described to me yes. and indeed and indeed it was i mean i sat there the whole time thinking wow it, i mean it's it, hitting all the right notes but i think to make it really clear i think it's a better film than the original top gun you know, i think you know i agree ahead. with you i only of course i went to see it in 1986 so that's 36 years ago but i yes, agree yes. with you i agree with you i think it is a better film i think there's there's certainly more of a storyline to it. I think Tom Cruise has a more complex role in this film than I think mm-hmm. he had in, in the first one. Yes, yes. But uh, I agree with you. I think it is a better film than the original. 
Oh, yes. And I think I think it really I mean, a lot of people have made fun of the original film saying it's an extended music video. You know, it's a recruitment video for the United States Navy. I mean, people have always derided the film, you know, in that manner. I, th- I think the original film, in my in my objective opinion, as someone who isn't even like someone who loved it, I think it's a it's, I think I think it's a it's a well-made film. I think it's a pretty good film. I, it became a classic because of its sheer popularity, but I would never have called it a great film. I think the distinction here is that Top Gun Maverick, I think, is a genuinely great film, which which shocks me to say that out loud. <laughs> and I and I when I said on Facebook and I said out loud on I wrote on Facebook and you may have seen it that I think it's a great movie. I think my brother was shocked, you know, because he. He never thought it would be a film that you know I was going to love to that degree, but I think I loved it because the characters seemed very believable and real to me, and 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 it wasn't just a star vehicle for Tom Cruise. I mean, yes, it is a star vehicle for Tom Cruise, but this time he populates the film with this ensemble cast of interesting supporting characters mm. that really make it seem a well-rounded movie. I, I compared it on Facebook um, to the movies of Howard Hawks. And the movies of John Ford, two classic Hollywood directors. The first two thirds of three quarters of the movie, I would call it a classic Howard Hawks movie about it's you know talented professionals who come together for a common goal. They're led by a very charismatic leader. Uh, there is a beautiful but smart and assertive woman who is is you know tangential or in their circle who's able to hold her own. And it's all about examining you know the the cohesiveness of that particular unit and how they work together to achieve their common goal but then the last quarter of the film became like a classic john ford movie all about genuine sacrifice what it means to really give up something for a larger common good beyond yourself for the benefit of our listeners who haven't Mm -hmm. seen the film and the film only just came out over the weekend so it's yes yes yes, hot off the presses why don't you why don't you give us a synopsis of the plot Oh God! How do I begin? I mean, <laughs> the, the, the Tom Cruise character, thirty-six years later, is and in fact, I, in fact, it's amazing how he has not aged. I know, and he looks he looks good without without looking artificial. That's, yes. that's the thing about it. I I don't know what he's doing. If there's a painting aging in a closet or somewhere, but <laughs> but, I, but 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 by the way, I, I take that statement back because I, it makes it sound very derisive of him or, or taking pot shots of him. I was never a Tom Cruise fan the way other people were. I mean, that whole Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman divorce, I was always on Kidman's side as I always have been through the years. But I'm going to tell you something about him in this movie. It's the first time in a Tom Cruise movie, I just thought he was great. I mean, I've always thought he was a good actor, you know, a charismatic movie star, etc. But this, I think this may be my favorite performance of his. Okay, but the plot of the movie, I mean, do I have to? I mean, most people have seen this by now, but I'll, I'll give you a, a, just an overview. He's asked by the United States Navy to lead a mission that yeah. involves bombing an illegal... You know, uranium that, enrichment facility. Yes, in, yes. It's in the mountains. Country. Yes. yes, it's in some unnamed country, you know, at the bottom of a canyon, and it entails having to train and select a group of pilots and weapon systems officers accomplish this mission. Among the people who are part of the best pilots is the son of his best friend from the original film. The son is nicknamed, you know, has a call sign of a rooster, and his the, his best friend from the first film was Rooster's father, who's Goose, played by Anthony Edwards, and the son is played by Miles, Miles Teller, and the son hates Tom Cruise's character Maverick, 
for a bunch of reasons that I'm not going to give away because, you know, it'll ruin the plot. You know, so that's the that's one aspect of the movie. The other aspect of the movie is his relationship with Jennifer Connelly's character who runs a bar nearby and is the daughter of an admiral years ago that uh, that was referenced in the first film that she was the daughter of an admiral and he took her on a flight in an F-14 and got into a bunch of trouble. So she's a character that was referenced in the, like a line of dialogue in the first film and now we see her in person. And it's about their uh, relationship and we we fought, we realized that in the 30 years since 36 years since then it, they appeared to have had an on again off again relationship so it, it works on two levels it's really about it's really about him trying to reach some sort of an understanding with the son of his best friend who still blames him for his father's death it's also about him trying to mature as an individual as a leader because the thing about his character in the original film 36 years ago is that he was really a daredevil and i guess one would say you know rather irresponsible in this film he's trying to train these people to be so prepared that they can come home from the mission mm-hmm. you know that's one of the key lines in the movie is that when he's told what the mission is i think i remember he pushes back and he tells them like how are they going to come home? Have you thought about how they're coming home? And he, like, he's very conscientious about making sure that these people will survive this mission. So it, it, it's something that weighs on him throughout the whole film. And also there's a uh, also his friendship with his former nemesis played by Val Kilmer Iceman, who's now an admiral in, in dying. Some, some A very poignant scene with uh, Val Kilmer, who also is not in good health in real life, it, 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 you know, shows up in the middle of the film. I mean, this is a very complicated story for something that basically a lot of people are probably dismissing as just a rah-rah summer action film. But there's a lot of stuff going on. So that's why when you ask me to synopsize it, I'm finding it difficult to do so because in in some crazy way, the plot is almost as complex as Nashville and Day for Night. I mean, maybe that's a little bit of hyperbole there, but but, but I'm simply trying to point out that this is not, not your typical summer action film. This is actually very nuanced, very thoughtful, very well well acted, very well written, uh, very well directed. I mean, the action scenes, of course, are amazing. I mean, that's what everyone's going to talk about, and deservedly so. But I think the character parts are really what what hit me hard. I'll, I'll head it back to you in a second, but I wanted to say, well, I'll ask you a question. Did you find the movie suspenseful in, in, in the finale? Because it was the first time in a long time I didn't know how a movie was going to end, and I was on the edge of my seat. Well, I agree with you. There were so many twists and turns at the end where you think, and then the plot shifts and it shifts and it shifts. So it, it the the last 15 minutes, well, the, more than just the last, the last 15 minutes of the film are very suspenseful. The rest of the film is suspenseful, but the last 15 minutes, I think they've done a great job in keeping your attention because it's a, it's what, two hours and 17 minutes long. It's a lengthy film, but for, yes. the, but for the last, if you walk out of the theater before the ending, the ending credits, you've missed the punchline. Let's come back to the beginning of the film before, yeah. before the credits even come up on the screen. Yeah. Tom, Tom Cruise pops up on the screen and he speaks to us in the audience. See that? I didn't see that. Some theaters don't have that, but go ahead. Well, that's what I saw. So he pops up. He's in a black T-shirt with a a simple background. There's no uniform. There's no Hollywood, etc. And his face fills the whole screen. And that's also something I want to talk to you about, the, the cinematography in this film, because their faces and the characters the camera angles and shots are very close up filling the whole screen, but 
But to come back at the very beginning, Tom Cruise comes on and he speaks to the audience and he says very sincerely, without any makeup on or without his hair being groomed or what have you, he just comes on and he says, we've done this, we've done Top Gun again, we, I hope you're going to enjoy the film. And he's actually speaking directly to the audience in, mm-hmm. in his own persona, not as the character. Yes. I, I thought that was interesting lead in because we get so caught up in Tom, uh, Tom I keep want to I keep saying want to say Tom Jones he's not Tom Jones he's Tom Cruise but but he we're so caught up in him as the action hero the action man to have him for about a minute and a half just address the audience in a in a very calm relaxed conversational manner talking yeah. directly to us. I thought that I thought that was an interesting way to kind of step out of the film and say, you know what? Watch this. You're going to see a lot of F-18s. You're going to see a lot of action. But And then the film credits roll. So I thought that was an interesting twist. Well, I think what it means, since I didn't see it when I saw it for some reason, so I, I, so I'll, I bet I've done, I, I, other people have told me about it, and then, so I, I understand the effect it had on you, but I think what, what it demonstrates is the, the extent to which he really wanted this movie to work, and he worked hard to bring it together, and mm-hmm. everything I've been reading in terms of the interviews with the other personnel working on the film, I mean, he wasn't just an actor starring in it, I mean, he was really hands-on in terms of, I guess they really went up in real planes, and, yep. and all, each of the actors you know, had to train to fly their own planes, and he kind of led them, and, and so in, in that sense, it sounds like what's on screen kind of mirrored the collaboration and camaraderie of the actors, you know, off screen, he really wanted to make this work and it shows. And but like I said, it's not just him. I mean, my, I tell, I'll tell you who my favorite character is, to tell you the truth. Who's my that? favorite character, the young actor, Lewis Pullman, playing the weapons system, systems officer, Bob. Gawky and nerdy, yes. but but appealing and charismatic in his own way. I, this is what I, this is what I, what I was thinking when I was watching um, the movie, and he, his character showed up. Bob's this character who's part of the squadron, and he's very different because he's not this swaggering, confident, boastful person. He's kind of a shy, quiet person, but he's confident in his own way because you know he knows he's very capable at, at his job. But in that quality, when I was watching it, he reminded me of a young James Stewart. Okay. Yes. Um, You know, you know what? I thought exactly the same thing when, when he's being, when he's being teased by the female pilot trace, he looks like Jimmy Stewart. He has that earnestness and honesty and a little bit of shyness. And of course the glasses also, uh, the, the the glasses also make him vulnerable, but I agree with you. He was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And he's the son of the actor Bill, Bill Pullman, who done tons of films through the years. And I, what, what I was thinking when I saw uh, Lewis Pullman appear on screen is, um, I mean, a lot of these uh, supporting actors are some some of them are people who are somewhat established, who've done other things. Others are people who are building their credits. And I wasn't as familiar with him. And I really wasn't familiar with Lewis Pullman. But I remember thinking that one's going to make it, meaning I think I'm going to make a prediction right now. I think Lois Pullman is someone that we should all keep an eye on. I think he's got some real promise to really actually you know, have a genuinely uh, accomplished um, career in films and television and theater if he, if he so chooses. Let's come back to the contrast between John Hamm, mm-hmm. who plays the commanding officer, I guess, at the base, and who, yeah, yeah, who yeah. in fact is Tom Cruise's boss and Tom Cruise. Yeah. On the yeah, one yeah. hand, you've got John Hamm, who is senior officer playing it yeah. by the book 
rather conservative. Yes. And you have Tom Cruise, who's still, well, his nickname is Maverick. And he's, he's still very much the daredevil. He's still the rule breaker and very much in contrast with his boss, John Hamm. And there's one scene where John Hamm calls him on the carpet and threatens him with court-martial or st- talks aloud about court-martial. But in the end, John Hamm himself hands over the command to Tom Cruise, recognizing that Tom Cruise has this gut fighter pilot instinct, and he's probably going to go with hunches and instincts rather than analyze it to death. So I thought that that was an interesting contrast in studies between two different approaches. You know, the seat of the pants fighter pilot who will, who basically is running on instinct and the cool, calm and collected, somewhat political senior officer who's actually Tom's boss, but yields to Tom's gut instinct. Yeah, but I think what the movie, but I don't think John Hamm comes across as a villain or a jerk no. the way another movie might. I think the movie does acknowledge that in a situation like this, you do need a John Hamm to also basically, you know, bring some reason to this picture. But also, I think I think it has a very balanced perspective. You know, you need the John Hamm, you know, in real life in situations like that, and then you also need a character like you know Tom Cruise's character to basically think outside the box and come up with new ideas. But but like I said, even though you know. The, the Tom Cruise character Maverick is thinking outside the box. I don't think he's irresponsible like he was in the original film. I think he's he is responsible, but he's basically trying to offer a, a fresh and different perspective to make this mission work. So I think that's what that's the key thing that makes this character so unique. And I think the other characters, the the female pilot Phoenix was a great character. We're, we're forgetting Miles Teller as the son uh, of, of Maverick's best friend, um, you know, the, the, the rooster. rooster character. Mm-hmm. And then the, his rival, you know, Hangman. I mean, these characters were so unique and so distinctive that it was great. And the thing is, is that one thing that I thought was very refreshing for the Phoenix character, the woman pilot in the, in the squadron is, is I think a typical um, film would have basically had scenes where her character is being demeaned by the other men or she's got to prove herself to them. And and maybe in past films, the time period was such that that storyline was warranted. But I think in 2022, it can become a condescending, rather boring cliche. And the film avoids that. Basically, she's a member of the squadron. She's earned the right to be there. Nobody questions it. She's confident in herself. And and she doesn't feel the need to basically have to prove it to anybody. She just is. And I think that's a great quality into the film that made me like it a lot. I mean, I'll just tell you, the thing about the John Hamm character um, and also uh, the Lewis Pullman character, Bob, is through the years, I, I, I had become friends with people who were you know, military officers. And in many cases, some of them were naval officers. And I find that a lot of them are more like the John Hamm character yes. and also the Lewis Pullman character Bob mm-hmm. than they really are of of Tom Cruise's character Maverick. I, I, I very rarely have ever come across military officers who come across as cocky or arrogant or you know anything like that. I, I mean, occasionally they exist, but I think that's a stereotype that people who don't travel in those circles just make an assumption of. You Let's know. just come back to, of course, one of your themes when we're talking about film sure, is sure. being woke. Now, there was nothing I felt that was woke about this film. And to the extent that you said they started making the film in 2018, it was only it's only just been released in 2022. What took so long? Well, of course, we did have a pandemic in between. 
Did you feel that there was there were there woke moments in this film or was this a completely anti-woke film? And if so, is that contributing to the box office success that it is? Okay, here's the deal. I don't think it's a woke movie. And what I mean by that is, is that inserting something into a movie that just seems artificial and just seems like it's there to, to make some kind of a point, to lecture people, to have some sort of an agenda. I don't think the movie had that. I mean, you had a squadron. Well, really, look at the cast. It, it, the cast is filled with people of various different ethnicities. Several, you know, several women play key roles in the whole thing. And yet it all just seems very organic. It doesn't seem like it's there to basically make some kind of a point. And yet at the same time, you know, when we're talking about this, one, one thing I do want to make a point of, and, you know, forgive me, there are some people who complained about the movie before the movie even came out. And, <laughs> and there are people on social media who are complaining, saying, I don't want to see it after what happened last week in Uvalde, Texas. I don't want to see anything with guns or weaponry or whatever. And I, I mean, drawing parallels between a real life tragedy like that with a movie like Top Gun Maverick, which is a story of all about trying to uh, you know, basically a sense of sacrifice, people, characters have a sense of sacrifice and also characters that to learn a sense of responsibility for one another. I think that's really unfair to make that, draw that kind of a, a conclusion. But there are some people that just don't like the movie because they've attributed what they perceive to be its so-called politics. I guess some people think that it's a glorification of the military industrial complex, but I think Every movie seems to be a glorification of one thing or another. So, so what I'm trying to say here is, is that there's some people, you know, who lean, you know, on the left, who for some reason seem to be angry at the movie or hate the movie. And then I've seen people on the right who've written these think pieces praising the movie because the movie seems to reflect what they think the world should be like. And I, if there's a theme to my discussions with you, Jim, about movies, is that we need to get away from this horribly dogmatic didactic view of art or entertainment, mm -hmm. films and television, music and theater. We need to stop looking at it purely from a political point of view. Yes, politics is very important, but it's only one aspect of looking at the world. It should not be the only way that we judge things. We need to basically look at you know, Top Gun Maverick as a very nuanced thoughtful movie with interesting characters, an entertaining movie, a movie that brings a sense of um, escapism at a period of time when people desperately need it. And I think when people refuse to see something because it doesn't reflect the way they think the world should be or the, their opinions about politics, they really lose out on experiencing great things. So that's why I some of some of the things I've seen people say are just really kind of crazy. Well, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Yes, I can I can understand that. And to the extent that in some respects this film has an old Hollywood feeling about it. But you're absolutely right. It's a bit you're you're right. It's not didactic. It's it's very contemporary in terms of the the makeup of the the Top Gun teams, yeah. and at very comfortable with it, and matter of fact about it. And there's there's no didactic, breast beating. We are so good because we're so diverse, or this or that, etc. There's none of that. It's it's there, but it's not pointed out to you as a teaching moment, if you will. Exactly. And the other thing I wanted to simply say is, is that some people have tried to write reviews calling it 
jingoistic. I mean, there's nothing jingoistic in it. I mean, you sit through that movie and there's no lectures, there's no speechifying, there's no nothing in the movie. And some people think that there's politics. There's no politics to this movie, okay? I, it, it's it's some, of the, some of the reviews uh, trying to assert that. I mean, there's one review, I think I sent you like a piece that quotes one review. Yes. And if I can pull pulled up really quickly, it was like a review where somebody was trying to say that the movie was how shall we say it gave this review a uh, what was it you know a queasiness that only intensified in a post-trump age with patriotism curdling into white supremacy that's uh, it was a review written in you know, a by guy named david rooney in the hollywood reporter and there's absolutely no the, aspect of the movie that reflects that i mean that is like that's absurd that is like, that's I absurd mean, there's nothing there's nothing trumpian or white supremacist or anything like that in this film. I mean, obviously the guy hadn't seen the film. He came to the film with an agenda and he, he sort of forced that agenda on this film in terms well, of, the, in terms of the politics, you know, it's interesting. They were very careful not to the markings on the enemy planes, for instance, it wasn't yeah. a red star. It yeah. wasn't the marking of an existing air force. It was a red triangle surrounded with a gold circle, which means yeah. nothing. They well, they also went out of their way never to show the faces of the pilots who were flying yeah. the enemy planes. They were all wearing their, their helmets and goggles and what have you. So there was nothing political about it, but to the extent that they were they were going after an illegal uranium enrichment facility, which was in breach of an international treaty. If that's political, well, that's not political. That's a fact. That's a, we're, we're seeing that we're seeing that in different locations around the world. If you can't sit and listen, accept that kind of a storyline, which you're going to be watching on the evening news anyway, maybe those folks just shouldn't be going to the theater or they certainly shouldn't be writing reviews with preconceived notions. Well, exactly. And then there's another review written by someone from the LA Times named Justin Chang, no relation, okay? The quote that was highlighted in this article was, was that it's best not to think too hard or long about the fetishization of U.S. military might. And I just sat there reading this dude from the LA Times, you know, with the same last name as me. And I just said, you know what? Clearly we are not from the same family, okay? <laughs> I said, because that, because both what David Rooney and the Hollywood Reporter, what Justin Chang said in the LA Times are some of the some of the craziest and stupidest things I've read in a long time. And I'm, you know, so I, anyway, I'm probably, I probably shouldn't be describing them that way, but you know, it's just, I read that and I went, what? But, but anyway, like I said, they're entitled to their opinion, but I just think it's a little bit off base because it's just a movie. And I think people need to kind of like not take things so seriously. And I think, um, and I think one of the reasons that it's been the box office success thus far I mean, it, yeah. it opened to rave, uh, rave reviews and certainly great, uh, great revenues over the weekend is the fact that it's, it's not didactic. It's not jingoistic. It's entertaining. It's entertaining. It's, dare I say, even intelligent. And, oh. <laughs> you know, it's and, and you have and you have real actors who are giving nuanced performances I mean, forget about forget about the the backdrop of F-18s and aircraft carriers. Forget about that for a minute. You know, focus on the 
actors and the quality of the acting and the, the nuanced performances that they're giving. Well, exactly, because I think it's a beautifully made movie, and, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, if, if David Rooney and Justin Chang listen to this, they're going to think, oh, this person's a moron, and whatever have you, with no taste whatsoever, but but I, I would just say, go through the rest of these podcasts, and I'm ta- 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 talking to people about, you know, Truffaut and Robert Altman and stuff, so hopefully that, that gives me some credentials with the, <laughs> with your, with the San Francisco experience listeners, yes. okay? With the, with, the film, uh, with the film intelligentsia. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cineast, you know, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to make a, pr- a prediction. I may, I may regret this prediction, but I'm going to make it right now on your show that, you know, when I came out of that theater, I said to my friend who went with me, I think it might win best picture at the Oscars next year. And my friend went, what? And I said, and I think, I think, you know, I think Cruz, if he plays his cards right and, you know, doesn't do anything that, you know, gets people annoyed with him, I think he could actually, you know, get nominated and maybe, maybe even win best actor. My friend went, what? And I said, yeah, because I, by the way, by the way, I, I'm not one of those people that thinks like, you know, people should win Oscars or Emmys or Tonys by doing some transformational type of performance. I, I, I'm somebody that believes that if someone actually just plays a character and brings lots of different layers to that character, even if they're not doing something transformational, I mean, that's that's an Oscar worthy performance. And I think he actually gave it to us here I agree. because because I think he gave us a look at this character that we all thought we knew for 36 years from the first film and gave us different sides of him that never would have even considered. So I think in that sense, it's really in that sense, I mean, you know, inadvertently and maybe unintentionally, it is a transformational performance, but not in the way people usually think of. And I think in terms of it being a best picture winner, I mean, I think of it in terms of, I mean, a film like Bridge on the River Kwai, which is a big war epic with lots of action and intrigue, uh, but a lot of humanity to it as well. So I, I would, you know, make that kind of comparison in that regard. So I, I'm making that prediction here. I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, you know, then I'll have to, I'll have to buy you a dinner at Original Joe's, <laughs> okay? okay? At, at Original Joe's in Daly City, in Daly okay? City, no less. In Daly City, <laughs> yes. yes, yes. I'll buy you a dinner next next you're, year. You know, you're on. Yeah. You're on. Actually, yeah. I'm. I, I'm not going to dispute that. I think certainly a very strong candidate for best picture of the year. And, you know, Tom Cruise, to take a character that was familiar and kind of a household perception, an iconic character, Pete Mitchell, Top Gun of 1986, and fast forward that to to 2022, 36 years later, that's a daunting task. For a start, Tom Cruise has not really aged in that 36-year period. So you're not dealing with uh, a lot of silly makeup and hair pieces and what have you. But he, you do see a maturity as compared to the 1986 Tom Cruise in the role versus the Tom Cruise today. You also see a, a more self-reflective middle-aged man who essentially has given up the route of fast promotion as one of his superiors says to him you should have been an admiral at this point and you're still a captain well he's still a captain because he loves to fly and he's good at it and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be involved i guess with the administration the politics etc to rise through the ranks in a sense that john ham has done yes but like i said you know the movie's fair to characters like john ham and it's also fair to other characters as well i mean the thing about this movie is that some of the other characters you think you figured it all out about them and then by the end you know you there's they have ways of surprising you and we're being very vague because we don't want to ruin it for people who who haven't seen the film but like I said, I, I mean, I, I don't I don't need to recommend this to people um, because this movie is going to be making millions of dollars. I'm just going to just say that I think this movie 
has a real shot at winning at, at being nominated and winning some major awards. And and I hope that look, the Oscars, you know, in the last few years we get movies like Nomadland and and Parasite. And, uh, Parasite, which I, I know some people loved it. I still hate it, you know, sorry, and, and stuff. But, but for something like this, um, which is a classic Hollywood production, but unfortunately, you know, there's a certain group of, of people in the, in the film industry and in the Academy who automatically will hate this movie and will automatically, you know, be trying to mount a campaign against it by writing think pieces talking about how so-called right-wing political it is when really it isn't. I, I think next year's Oscars... This is my other prediction. It's going to be in the middle of a culture war between what it represents in terms of you know, a classic filmmaking and whatever the you know, what was it the, the pretentious crowd you know is going to be advocating for next year for the Oscars. That there's going to be some film uh, next year's Oscars that will be the equivalent of that pretentious power of the dog. And so I, I see I I predict that there's going to be a battle between Top Gun Maverick and whatever a film like the, whatever film represents you know that kind of pretentious crowd as well. So that's the thing. By the way, before we wrap up, you know. I know we were probably using up the 30 minutes. I want to apologize to David Rooney and Justin Chang for calling for, for, for calling them stupid. I don't know them. I don't know them. But I will say this. I still think what they wrote was actually kind of nuts. But I will take back the part of calling them stupid. Okay. Well, Sean, on that note, and in the remaining few moments of the podcast, do you have some closing thought for our listeners today? I probably do, and I'm trying to just remember them, but but I, I would just say, oh, I do know what it is. The next day after I saw this movie, I went to see the new Downton Abbey movie. Yes. Um, and I enjoyed that very much as well. Um, that's, that's for another podcast if we're going to do that one. But it was the first time in a long time, Jim, that I went to see two movies in a row within two days over you know the same weekend. I mean, after the pen, because of the pandemic, I rarely gone to the movie theater. The Downton Abbey movie is a more quieter, intimate movie. But to be up there, to, to be in the theater in both films, that beautiful widescreen projection, Top Gun Maverick is a big epic. Downton Abbey, A New Era is a, is a more intimate comedy drama. But, but to be you know, kind of like lost in your thoughts in the movie theater, you can't replace the movie going experience. And, and those two movies back to back this weekend reminded me that as much as streaming is great, Hopefully, this is a sign that the, that movies are coming back uh, in terms of you know the big screen experience. And uh, I'm looking forward to, to whatever movies what uh, movies are coming up this summer that'll also give me the same uh, excitement, joy, and entertainment. Well, Sean, on that note, I'd like to thank you very much for your insights and your always fascinating point of view. And look forward to our next visit when we will probably talk about Downton Abbey because I went to see it just last week also. So I think, oh. we're, I think we're teeing up our, we're, we're teeing up our listeners as you, and as, as you know, as we've talked over the years, I've always said, I'm not a big fan of period costume films, but, yeah. and I was not a big fan of Downton Abbey on the TV, but we went to see it last week. And I've got to say, I really enjoyed it. It was a, it's a very enjoyable film. I got over my, my phobia of period costumes and it's, it's a terrific film, but let's save that. Let's save that for later yes, in the yes. month. And yes, uh, yes. once again, thank you for joining us and we'll look forward to having you back later this month. Okay, cool. Cool. Deal. Deal. Okay. And for my listeners, I'd like to thank you once again as we celebrate our second anniversary here at the San Francisco Experience for being loyal listeners. We have now published 282 episodes. 
We are featured on 19 different podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music, among others. We have listeners in 50 plus countries. Latest one includes Tonga and all 50 states. This has been the San Francisco Experience, coming to you from America's favorite city, San Francisco.